Micro Monday again, the weekly microcast where we get to know members of the Micro.blog community. I'm Jean McDonald, Community Manager at Micro.blog, and on this episode, we're doing something a little different. I don't have a guest. I have a have a host, which is Manton Reese, Hello. a creator of Micro.blog. <laughs> you are the guest today. I am the guest, but I agreed to do the intro. Yes, Manton is as many of you know, working on finishing up his book on microblogging. And I am one of the people he is interviewing for the book. And I'm really honored to be here and also a little bit like nervous having the tables <laughs> turned. <laughs> this will be interesting because maybe seeing the other side, you'll, uh, I don't know, have a different take on the process. I'm yes. not sure. Seems like it might be good. Uh, uh, yeah. No, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not in control. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much uh, for talking to me. Yes, I, I wanted to include some interviews in the book. I'd love to include tons, but there's only, there's a few, and I'm really happy to be able to talk to you about it. And I think the best way to start out is first with a couple of the questions you ask all the guests. So we can just kind of start at the beginning. How did you find out about Microdotblock? I found out about micro.blog from the Kickstarter, um, which is almost three years ago. I knew that you were working on something like this, but I didn't really know exactly what it was. And the Kickstarter and your, your Kickstarter video just made me go like, oh, now I see. And, and in fact, um, in the the post that I read, uh, you had already met, met your original goal for the Kickstarter, and you were putting in a stretch goal. And part of that stretch was if you made it that far to $80,000, you would hire a community manager. And it was like, whoa, I thought, I think I would like that job. (laughs) And I was right. Yay for being right once in a while. So yeah, that's how I found out. So before micro.blog, I know you had blogged off and on a while back, what did your what did your blog look like? And had you been blogging recently, or was it kind of yeah you know, needed to be dusted off? And exactly, I had so I started um, on the internet in the nineties as a web designer. I learned how to build websites, mm-hmm. and that's what I did as a freelancer for several years. So I always wanted to have some kind of blog, but it was before WordPress. And, you know, I wasn't super technical, you know, like backend oriented. So I thought, well, if I have a blog, I'm going to have to redesign these pages every time I add something new. So I never really got anything seriously going in the 90s. And then I got on Twitter when pretty, you know, pretty much early on. And Mm -hmm. the next thing I knew is like, I wasn't really that interested in in blogging anymore. I think I started a blog in the uh, in 2007 or 2008, mm-hmm. which was my version of a parenting blog, but for ants like myself, somebody mm-hmm. with no kids. And, you know, so focusing all the fun stuff that ants and uncles get to do <laughs> and not really worrying about any of the financial or you know, health or nutrition things that they don't have to worry about. So, so that was pretty fun. But I, I think being on Twitter got me a little bit, uh, you know, d- siphoned off some of my 
interest in posting on my own blog for sure. Yep. Yeah, that was the thing. That that is a very common that basically happened to everybody. I'm yeah. finding out, <laughs> you know, like the uh, that like Twitter when first Twitter's first getting started, it's pretty small, but when it really starts to hit, it just starts pulling everybody away, even people that have been blogging for yeah. years, you know, in some yeah. cases. So, as you mentioned, the Kickstarter was almost three years ago. We've been working together for not all, not, it wasn't quite at three years, but over two right. years for sure. Oh, yeah. And it has been great to work with you. In that early time when we were emailing about this community manager job, mm-hmm. like the role I think was admittedly kind of vague when yes. <laughs> you first <It> was. <laughs> signed up. Like, what were your early expectations what like well, what did you think it would be like i think you know i thought it was going to be more um more time spent like being the judge judy of hmm. the the community <laughs> <laughs> where people would be uh doing things that we thought were against the guidelines or they would be potentially harassing other members and I would have to step in and make a judgment call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and um, I also, you know, we, we, I think what you said at the beginning was we would, this person actually, what you did say was this person would um, be very involved in writing the community guidelines and then also making sure that uh, any harassment that didn't get screened out by automated systems, you know, was was caught early and dealt with early. Mm-hmm. And so I, I actually thought it was going to be a more combat-oriented job than it <laughs> has turned out to be, you know, so far, knock on wood. Well, we've been really lucky, I think, that the community mm-hmm. is fantastic. And, you know, there have been there have been issues that come up mm-hmm. and that need to be discussed and judgment calls, you know, need to be made. And I'm sure that will continue to happen as we grow. So like that, that what you imagine may still. Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> and also on the flip side, like the automated systems and the things that I thought I was going to be able to build to catch a lot of things that hasn't really panned out the way I had hoped it would. But luckily, like I said, some of that hasn't been, needed yet. And, you know, the most important thing is that we're like prepared, you know, we're on top of it. And that was really the goal from the beginning. And I think that that, I mean, certainly we've been able to follow through on that is just be thinking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. What did you find yourself, I guess, thinking about and how you interacted with people in the community first, if it wasn't the, I'm going to make a judgment call on this person needs to go. <laughs> like what, what was the experience like? Well, I think that the early days, um, because this was new and it was very, uh, it wasn't very different from other social media type um, experiences, except it had some, some pretty, uh, definite and maybe unexpected to new users, like things that you couldn't do or wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. The truth is, I didn't totally understand micro.blog in the beginning. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be like, just like Twitter, you know, a Twitter thing that would, would be able to 
you know, be cross-referenced, cross-posted, like wherever, and that you would be able to just be a micro.blog, but you could still keep things on Twitter going, and that's all it was. And it didn't totally sink in until I'd been working on this for, you know, probably a couple months, that this was a blogging platform. And when you use the app or, or the website to put up your little you know, short posts, your tweet-like micro posts, though all of those were being collected and published on a blog site that was yours. And then, then, you know, that was literally like the light bulb going off. And I'm like, okay, now I get it. And yeah, so a, a lot of the early stuff was me trying to help people when I didn't totally understand it myself. And uh, I think there were a lot of questions, you know, people hadn't quite figured it out themselves. And so it was more, you know, being a a resource in the community. And a lot of that, you know, resource was like, I will ask Manton about that. So, <laughs> And early on, I mean, I don't even remember when we built the help site, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't there at the beginning. And Not Certainly not in the form it's in now. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I mean, it's been a really interesting process. And it's a process I have been through before working with software developers who have really cool software that is really useful and really great, except it's hard to explain it, you know, in in one sentence, uh, text right. expander especially. It was always a challenge to... Um, convince people w why they would use it. I mean, it's been around long enough now that, you know, I think it, it, there's not too many people who say, oh, I type fast already. I don't need that, <laughs> which is what people would say. Um, and I think for this, what we're doing is people may think, well, I'm okay on Twitter. I don't need another social network. And that's really n answering the wrong question. The question is, would you like to have your work and a site you control, whether it's short or long posts. And we didn't have long posts in the beginning either. That's so true. that, you know, I think as things have been built out, that has made, um, you know, help people to understand what, what they would do. But yeah, in the beginning, I think I just, uh, you know, I was just trying to figure out what people were doing and for myself as well. So we didn't have long posts in the early days of micro.blog. And we also didn't have podcasts. And one <laughs> of the great things that you work on that I really love is the Micro Monday podcast that we're talking on right now. Yeah. What was the inspiration for that podcast? Like, how did that, the idea kind of come up? Well, you know, I think it was probably a little before we started doing Micro Monday that Brent Simmons was doing the Omni Group podcast, which I thought was cool, you know, because mm -hmm. there's always this feeling like if you're going to do a podcast, you got to have a big audience, you know, like, why would you do it? But what, what I've learned, you know, starting with Micro Monday, definitely is like doing a a podcast for a specific audience that will appreciate it is as rewarding, maybe not necessarily financially, but just, you know, it's just rewarding to know that people enjoy what you're doing. And that um, certainly in our 
community, it's really made a difference, I think, for people to figure out, like, they can learn about people they want to follow, um, because you can listen to them, and you can say, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind hearing what this person is up to on a regular basis. Um, that it definitely makes the users of blog, you know, who come on the podcast are now like, you know, more fully fleshed out as human beings, and not just short 280 character or less posts. And I like, I like doing that. But yeah, it was definitely not in my, uh, it wasn't on my to do list to create a podcast for micro.blog, probably not even in my contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it was a great kind of proof of concept for like can we even host podcasts? So like technically yes. it was great, but yeah. even more than that, yeah, just like you said, getting a little insight into who people are and what their thoughts are on the platform or blogging. And mm-hmm. I really loved how that's worked out. You actually had a blog post recently about like starting small and like appreciating Mm -hmm. micro things. (laughs) I have it here in front of me. You said, ever since I became the community manager of micro.blog, I've developed an appreciation for the beauty of going micro, micro posts, micro casts, micro meetups, (laughs) microcosms (laughs) of interesting humans interacting online on a human scale. I thought that was really great. And it was kind of a nice reminder of you can start small with something and it will can turn into something big. And I think the podcast is like that when you look at so many episodes also like going Mm -hmm. back, like it has a, there's a nice history of all those members of the community. Yeah. It's interesting. Actually back when I was in my early twenties, I worked um, as a secretary in the history department at the university of North Carolina and Next door to my office was the uh, Southern Oral History Program, which was that at that time, so we're going back, you know, early 80s, was a new idea to do oral history, you know, because most history up until that point was being written based on archives of documents. And that meant if you didn't have something that got archived, then you weren't in the history, right? (laughs) And so the oral history program was actually quite famous um, there at UNC. And I was friends with the secretary from that department, and I got to go to some of the things that they did and saw their projects and everything. And and, uh, that's what they did is they just went out, like their primary program at that time was going out and interviewing mill workers, you know, in North Carolina, like um, a cotton mill workers that's that was very you know much uh, a thing learning how they lived how the jobs went how all that's kind of stuff that you wouldn't get out of like going into the state archives you know to look at the records of the mill or something like that so I g- gained an appreciation for oral history and I think while I don't you know do it in any kind of I don't have a methodology for this. And I'm not trying to earn my PhD in anything. I just like um, that we're capturing a moment and a slice of time that um, in the evolution of the internet and and internet communities. So we've had a few in-person 
meetups, and you mentioned that in that post too, like micro mm-hmm. meetups. Has how, how has that been? There's been at least a few, and I know mm-hmm. that you've done a couple that I haven't been at. How has mm-hmm. that been talking to either members of the community or people who are just learning about micro.blog? How does that compare to like talking to people on the podcast? That's an interesting question. I think that, you know, for talking to somebody on the podcast, I get like 20 minutes, 30 minutes at least talking to somebody one-on-one. And for example, when we have meetups at Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, you know, there's a lot of people and I want to talk to all of them. And I generally lose my voice, as some people can attest. And it, but it's fun to see the spirit, you know, of people meeting other people. So people who are on Microdot blog say, seeing other people, when we do the name tags, I make the name tags myself and I put people's usernames on them <laughs> so that people can say, oh, so you're that person. And uh, um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's definitely, we could probably be doing more of that, but, you know, we have been a little overwhelmed. I mean, here in Portland, there's certainly a small group of people who I'm sure if I could get them together once a month, they'd be into it, but I've been a little overwhelmed this year. (laughs) So the the podcast is is definitely one way to, like, highlight people in the community. And also, Mm -hmm. like, before the podcast, we had Micro Monday just as a like post to microblog recommending somebody mm-hmm. to follow. And and we also have the discover section, which has evolved, but it's kind of settled into something I really like right now, which is highlighting posts that are coming from, you know, users in micro.blog, not actually highlighting a person specifically, but like just posts. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a curated timeline of just like a little yeah. snapshot of what is going on in micro.blog. It's not everything, but it's a bunch of stuff that people are posting. Mm-hmm. So you can see not so, just someone's name, but something that they actually posted or a photo. How do you feel about the way that's going and how that should evolve or how we can grow it or like what more we can do with that? Yeah. I mean, generally I feel it's going pretty well. It is hand curated by myself and you. And so there's some limitations there eventually. (laughs) That's not going to be the way we do it forever. I do think that it's, um, I mean, it's a good place to find like the people who post their first microdot blog post. That's, we try Mm -hmm. to make sure, I mean, if there's somebody, you know, puts something up, that's anything more than just like, hi. <laughs> like, so if they make some effort, either they've, they've put in their photo and their bio, like a way to know who they are. Um, if they post something in the vein of hello world, we, we add that to discover because um, that's the idea for people, you know, they want to know who's new and whether um, they're new people to follow. I think that, you know, it's a, it's been very important for us because what we don't have that, say, Twitter has is we have no algorithms. We have no uh, recommendation engine. We're not going to pop things into your timeline saying, like, here's some people you should follow. You know, we just <laughs> – we your timeline is your timeline. 
in chronological order of the people you follow, and that's the way it should be. But if you want to dip into what else is out there, going to discover is a way to do that. So, yeah, I think well, we want to um, bring in more community curators, uh, for sure. As the, as the platform grows and the volume gets bigger, that's going to be important. And... I, you know, I think that's, that's the main thing that I can imagine changing over time. Um, I think we could probably make the um, specific categories under tag emojis. So under the emoji tags that people have used for certain categories that we've been following, we could eventually find a better way, you know, to promote those to people because mm-hmm. um, they're a little easy to overlook and maybe eventually we'll have some specialized timelines that you know people in a certain interest group or whatever might curate I don't know but mm-hmm. you know the bigger we get the the more important it is to make it easy for people to find their their niches uh, one thing I've been really proud of lately is uh, so s- sometimes there are posts that are not in English in our timeline and I'm something of a you know polyglot I, I don't know every language but I like languages I like to figure out what things say and if a post looks like it might be of interest I might run it through Google Translate just to make sure <laughs> it's not something horrible and then I'll add that to the Discover timeline, knowing that 99% of the people will not read this Swedish post or whatever, but there will be one person who say, ah, another person who, <laughs> who posts in Swedish. And I have noticed more um, conversations going between people in non-English languages, mm. and I, I'm I'm kind of proud of that. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Looking f- forward to the problem of having lots of languages <laughs> in microdot yeah. and having to having to handle that. I was thinking back to uh, like how the platform has changed and like the the things that we kind of expected or the things that I thought it was going to look like and the things that it turned out to be good at. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we haven't touched on but it reminded me when you talked about there's no algorithm that will like recommend who you should follow is that we've tried to get away from the popularity contest kind of aspects of other social networks. So there's never been follower counts. There's never been like counts and that sort of thing. And I wasn't sure at the beginning, like if we would be able to stick with that, because it was kind of unusual (laughs) for a social network. How, like, what did you think if you can kind of go back a couple of years that we didn't have those? And then what do you think now? Well, I remember that I was campaigning for some of those features. <laughs> that was before it totally made sense to me. But uh, like not being able to see who's following you is, you know, definitely a a thing you have to get used to. Back then, yeah, I was like, well, I want it to be like Twitter, but better. But I in my mind, meaning we have all the features of Twitter, <laughs> but mm-hmm, you, right. uh, you know, you had thought a lot of this through in a way that I had not. And over time, I became, you know, a fan of how we do it. And I think that's been true. 
I mean, if you don't like how we do it, you've probably not hung around terribly long. So the people who are there are all discovering a different way of interacting in social media. And, you know, not having likes is very hard for people, too, because there's a lot to like on micro.blog. <laughs> and, and it would be so easy if there was a little thing we could click to say, I saw that, you know, I see you, I heard you, whatever. But we've stuck with that. And what ends up being ironic is how other platforms are saying they're going to get rid of likes. And mm-hmm. it's like, yep, okay, then. Um, yeah, you'd, sometimes I'll just post one emoji as a reply to somebody, you know, usually somebody that I I know and I've interacted with and they know that I'm not blowing them off with just one emoji. But yeah, but I reach out to people and say, that is really cool. Or, you know, I really like the work you've done here or you raise interesting questions. It takes like a few seconds longer than clicking the like, like button, but it can lead to some interesting conversations. And I would say friendships. I feel a lot of, you know, micro dot blog friendliness uh, throughout that I was maybe wasn't expecting since I was was originally expecting to have to fight with everybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of thing. Like, and I think there's more we can do with like the example of like just sending someone an emoji or a quick reply. I think that we can experiment with making that easier or encouraging that even more, especially Mm -hmm. for people who are clicking the favorite button right now, thinking it does something to notify the other person, Mm. which it doesn't. And I know Instagram has experimented with like quick emoji reactions Mm. also, and Slack has a similar thing. I I think there's more Mm -hmm. we can do, but there is something about actually taking the time to reply to someone that is meaningful and, you know, you're being deliberate about telling someone that's a great photo you took. Yeah. And that's something I didn't expect. And I'm really happy about, like, I, I thought there was something to this idea of not having that, you know, how many followers you have because of the pressure of it. And just kind of like some people are more popular than other people and like judging people based on how I knew there was something that we wanted to avoid with that. But the fact that it also encourages conversations in some cases is a really Mm -hmm. nice bonus. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, thanks so much for everything you do for the platform. It has been an amazing couple of years, almost three years <laughs> now. And yeah. there's so much, as we're talking, I mean, there's so many more things that I think we can do. But I feel, yep. I feel good about the progress so far and like staying on top of the community, thinking about this stuff and... Here's to 2020. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Totally. And uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast and say, okay. listeners, <laughs> if you want to follow Manton uh, or myself, um, we are on micro.blog, unsurprisingly. Um, he's at Manton and I am Mac Genie. And we appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.